Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Hey, let me say welcome to Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, those of you who are here in the room. We are happy that you chose to worship with us. Easter is right around the corner, April 9th, just a couple weeks away. I really hope that you will mark your calendars to make sure we got all kinds of services we're offering, and we're incredibly excited about uh, the the service and what God is going to do as a result of it. So my invitation is that you will, number one, begin to pray for it, begin to pray that God uses it to draw people to himself and and lives are changed as a result of it. Uh, And then also invite somebody to join you. Uh, Don't just show up for Easter. This is a perfect invite event. Invite somebody to join you for an Easter service. It's going to be awesome. You'll be hearing more about it to come, but uh, we're very excited about it. Okay, did you know that more than 60% of born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 35, millennials, believe Jesus is not the only path to salvation. Barna Research. 60% of people who call themselves Christians, millennials in America, believe that Jesus is not the only path. In other words, whatever works for you, whatever your truth is, you know, we've all got my truth now. You get your truth and I get my truth. There is no absolute truth and that is absolutely true type statement. You know, we just, we just kind of, we we expect that just let everybody do what they want, believe what they want. I think the way to God is Jesus. But if you think it's Buddha or Muhammad or good behavior or whatever you think it is, you can just go with your path. The problem is if we say we're a Christian, Jesus says he's the only path. So there's a disconnect there. This same study also found that almost half of practicing Christian millennials say evangelism is wrong. Not, I don't have to do it. Not, it's, it's only for s- certain people. They, 60% say it's wrong. Why? Because they're not taking their cues from scripture. They're taking their cues from culture. And culture tells us that you got your truth and I got my truth and I can't, Im- I can't infringe on your truth, right? I can just, I have my own opinions, but I have to let you have your own opinions. Even if your own opinions lead you to hell, I got to just let you have them, right? This, this, is a, this is a terrible way of living our lives. Allowing other people to live in a lie because we're not allowed to share the truth. They are totally intolerant of our intolerance. There's a double standard, and it's kind of scary. Because lately, we've uh, been having these interactions, these talks on Facebook. So we have a uh, Facebook group for our kids, and the Facebook group for the kids has gotten bombarded by an atheist group who has started calling the leaders of our kids' ministry uh, groomers or brainwashers. Why? Because it is the opinion of atheists that they can enforce their thoughts on their children, but we cannot force our thoughts on our children. We, if, if the, the, I had a conversation with one of these atheists on Facebook. I was positive it was going to lead to somewhere positive. It never does. So I had that conversation. I was like, listen, 
even if Christianity is not true. Here are some stats that show that it's good. Like statistically, you're, you're more likely to live a healthy life if you are a Christian. So let us just teach our kids, whether it's true or not, this is good for them. And oh man, he was not having it. So that conversation went nowhere. Because here's the reality of what's happened. We, have, we live in a world that segments each part of our life and our faith or our beliefs, our thoughts about what truth is, is just a, a portion. It's just a segment of our lives. Anybody got a, a room in their house that's got a bunch of these in it? The storage room, it's kind of disgusting. You don't ever go in there. You just, every once in a while, you've got to go in there because you need something in there. So maybe you've got a box in your storage room that's like your old wedding dress. Or, or I don't know if you do that with a wedding dress. Maybe not a wedding dress. But uh, you got the clothes your kids have grown out of or your Halloween decorations. And you've got another box that's like your Christmas decoration. Actually, that's like 20 boxes, right? Consumeristic America, that's what we do. We got a ton of of boxes for Christmas. And we just kind of, when when that season comes up, when I want to look at my old photo albums, I pull out the box and I use it while I need it. And then when I'm done with it, I put it back. I pull it out for Christmas. I use whatever I need during Christmas. But then when Christmas is over, I just put it back in, right? I think this is what we do with our faith. This is American faith. This is what leads to 60% of millennials saying it's wrong to share your faith. American faith says, okay, it's Sunday. Pull out your faith box. It's Sunday and we're all going to show up and we're all going to agree with each other. We're going to listen to some guy preach at us and we're going to sing some songs. We're going to feel a little bit silly because that's what religious people do. And then we're going to, at the end of Sunday, we're going to go put it back away. And then we're going to pull out the Monday box and I pull out school or work or whatever I do on Mondays. And then I pull out the Tuesday box. That's when I cheer for the sport that I like. Or I pull out the Wednesday box and then the Thursday box. And then I pull out the Friday box. (laughs) The Friday box. That's the fun box. The Friday box has it. Well, it's fun while I have it open. While the Friday box is open, there's a lot of fun stuff. Now, I don't want anybody ever to look in it, but there's a lot of fun stuff in the Friday box, right? And usually I spend the Sunday box trying to clean up the Friday box. And and so then I I use my, my Friday box and I usually regret using it, but while I use it, I really use the Friday box, right? But Friday's over, I put it away, I sleep all Saturday, and then Sunday comes and I pull out the Sunday box and I try to clean up. That's my, that's my segmented faith. This is, this is my consumeristic Christianity. I think this is what we do. This is, this is the unhealthy routine we've gotten into our in our faith. And when Jesus invites his disciples to follow him, he never says, hey, will you show up once a week and do something with me? What does Jesus invite his disciples to do? He says, I want you to drop everything, leave it all behind and follow me. Like my faith is not one of the boxes. My whole life, everything is my faith. It's not just something I do. It is my entire identity. But that's difficult. In a world that that tells you that it is wrong 
for you to share your faith with other people. Those of us who have made our faith our entire identity are like, well, then what do I do? Do I just hide in a closet all the time? Because what's the one room in your house you never take guests to? This room. I got all kinds of stuff hidden in there and it is a mess. I don't want to take anybody in there. I hide that away. Is that what you want me to do with my whole life? My faith is everything. So am I just supposed to separate myself from you? We're just supposed to divide our society into opinions. And that culture, that community has this opinion and that community has this opinion and we should never interact. This is what we desire. No, it's horrible. Because if I believe that my truth, which is actually the truth, if my truth will rescue you from death, I can't help but tell you about it. I love you too much to not tell you about it. You need to know that that truth will save your life. How many people here ever wear Christian t-shirts? You wear a Christian t-shirt? Some of you aren't Christians. You're like, no. So that, that's ridiculous. But for those of you who are Christians, do you, whenever I wear, a t- I have a t-shirt that says Jesus on it over and over again. I wore it, I think I've worn it to preach a couple times, but um, whenever I put that shirt on in the morning, what do I got to think about? Oh no. Okay. What, what am, where am I going to be? Who's going to see me? How am I going to act? Well, ha- I've got to pre-decide going into that day how I'm going to act for that day. Because if I'm wearing the Jesus t-shirt, I got to be careful, right? And we're talking about more than just t-shirts here. And some of you would say, well, I I want to get to the place where I could wear Christian t-shirts, but I still cuss a lot. So I'm, once I get done with that, once I'm perfect, once I'm actually, once I just clear that part up, then I'll start wearing Christian t-shirts. Or I thought about putting a Christian bumper sticker on my car, but have you seen the way I drive? I'm gonna, I got to get better at driving. And then I'll put the Christian bumper sticker on my car. I, I got to clean myself up. I got to get, Jesus didn't invite Peter to follow him and say, okay, get good, clean up your life, and then follow me. No, Jesus met Peter at the sea and he's like, let's go right now. Put the Christian bumper sticker on and the Christian t-shirt on right now. We're going. We'll figure all the rest out on the way. Because what Jesus is inviting us to is more than just a Sunday morning activity. He's inviting us to an entirely new way of seeing the world. That we would repent of our way of thinking and adopt his way of thinking. That we think of heaven more often than we think of earth. That's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. But that is what he is inviting us to do. Today we're going to hear a story of Peter. In this up and down journey of trying to become the person that God created him to be. And we're going to see the low moment for Peter. We're walking right up to the crucifixion, right up to Easter. And Peter is going to experience a very low moment in his faith journey. So watch this. I am in the caves that they discovered below Caiaphas' house. Uh, this, is where they, this is where they would have kept prisoners as they were being interrogated. And so likely in one of these cells in this cave was where Jesus was held uh, before he was killed. The story in Matthew 27 goes like, or 26 goes like this. Meanwhile, as Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. 
I don't know what you are talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I do not even know the man, he said. A little later, some other bystanders came over to him and said, You must be one of them. We can tell your Galilean accent. Peter said, I swear by God, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away crying bitterly. So this would have happened just outside of the Caiaphas' house, which is actually above me right now. And just outside the front door of that is where Peter would have denied Jesus. Standing there in that cave, in that jail cell, was one of the most powerful moments of my life. As I pictured my Savior, as I pictured Jesus there in chains, being interrogated, taking my punishment for me. Yet when Peter saw this same event, that's not the feelings he had. That's not the emotions he had. Peter, even though Jesus in this cell is recognizing he's winning the battle, Peter looked at the situation and thought that he was losing the battle. The Bible tells us that in this moment, at some point, they're standing within eye shot of each other, and Jesus and Peter are able to see each other. Peter is watching Jesus in this, in chains. And then somebody comes over to him and says, are you one of Jesus's followers? And Peter denied Jesus. Today, I want to ask two questions of this story. The first question I want to ask is, why did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Why? After all the miracles you'd seen and all the incredible things that Jesus had said, why did, what happened? Maybe it was he was scared. It was scared. What would happen if, He didn't deny Jesus. Maybe he was mad at Jesus because just not too long before this, they're in the garden and the guards come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out a sword and he wants to fight and Jesus won't let him fight. And so maybe he's mad at Jesus. Or maybe Peter is is doubting Jesus actually is the Messiah. Maybe he was just a magician and, and all of this was a lie. I think there's probably a little bit of truth in all of these. It's probably a confluence of all of these situations in in Peter's mind. But in order to fully answer this question, I think it would be helpful for us to look back at a story that happened just a few months earlier, an interaction between Peter and Jesus. And it goes like this. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. So he was prophesying this uh, arrest. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand God for saying such things. I think the ordination on Peter in this story is so incredibly powerful. One of the ways that we see that is the theme of three that goes throughout the story, right? Peter followed Jesus for three years while he was here on earth. Peter rose after three, or Jesus rose after three days. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus forgave Peter three times. Like this theme of three that goes throughout the story. And Peter, I think at this point in his ministry is recognizing that he's special, that he's called to something big. And so Peter, because he's a courageous dude, part of the reason why Jesus 
made him the leader of his disciples. Because he's a courageous dude, takes some leadership initiative. He starts to step out and become the leader that he was created to be. And in this moment, he's even reprimanding God. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Imagine this happening. This is a true story. This really happened. You can go stand there where this happened. Picture this happening. He turns to his disciples. Then he reprimands Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan, he said. And this is not Will Ferrell in a red costume on Saturday Night Live, Satan. Actually, I think this is a bad translation of this verse. What he actually says is, get away from me, tempter. This isn't the Satan. I'm not calling you the supreme authority of hell. I'm saying you are tempting me. He is a tempter. Get behind me, tempter, is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This is why the apostle Paul tells us that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the changing of our minds. Jesus is saying to Peter, your mind hasn't been changed yet. You're still seeing things from a human perspective. You need to see things from my perspective, from God's perspective. And that doesn't happen naturally. It only comes through Jesus's sanctifying work in our lives. And then Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me. So he just went from, you need to change your mind to this implies that you're ashamed of me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I know the world is sinful. I know the world is hateful. But if you're, but if you're me, I'll be ashamed of you, he says. So first he calls out Peter for being a Satan, and then he calls him out for being ashamed. See, Peter trusted Jesus when he thought that following him meant that he was going to get to the throne. When he was still thinking in human terms, he still wanted power. Peter wanted his life to get easier, not harder. And so now as he's recognizing where following Jesus is actually taking him, he begins to be offended. He gets a little angry and a little ashamed. He's ashamed of where Jesus is leading him. He's beginning to see things from heaven's point of view and he's ashamed of the truth. Jesus never promised to make life easier. He he said he'd make life better. He would make life good, but not easier. Maybe you started following Jesus because your life was hard and you wanted it to be easier, which was a good step. But at some point you're gonna recognize that you just kind of traded hard for a different hard. Because if you are actually following Jesus, if you're actually doing the things that he called you to do, it will require some sacrifice. 
It will require you to do things that may look illogical from a human perspective. And at some point, your mind will be offended. Your mind will recognize that God's truth is different than your truth, that God's opinion of what you should do is not what you want to do. And in that moment, you will be faced with a choice. I can either follow, I can either obey, I can either begin to see it from his perspective or I can go my own way. I can do what's easy, I can do what comes naturally, I can reject his way and go with my own way, which is what most of the world has done and that's why they say you can't force your truth on them because they've already picked their way, it's their way, not his way. Don't you force that truth on me. I want comfort, I want ease. I want to continue to believe that this life is just an accident, that I wasn't created for a purpose. I want my way, not truth. And when we are confronted by the gospel, when we are confronted by the reality that we are eternal beings with an eternal destiny, we're faced with that difficult choice. Will I go my way or his way? Theology. We try to figure ways in the boxes humans made. So either you're a heretic or you are the Son of God. You are the relapse of quiet streams and greener paths. The Ancient words our language lacks We could scribble out the notes In the books that your friends wrote Cause either everyone's a heretic Or they've heard the voice of God I fed my mind so that I can go My heart so it looks more like you. I fed my mind so that I can know more. Tries. A tender word in a stone. 
love that song. So good. Grant, you sang, sang the heck out of that. You don't know anybody who can sing that song like that. That was so good. Uh, I, I think this idea of 
offend my mind, change the way I think. It's actually the true woke. Like I've woken up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things from your perspective now, God. Because what scripture tells us about following God, about becoming a Christian, about being adopted into his family or whatever words you want to use to talk about the relationship changes that with us, happens with us. It happens because our mind is changed. We repent of our way of thinking and we adopt his way of thinking. Scripture tells us, and when that repenting happens, then we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what happens. That's how this relationship with him begins. So if, if Peter now is doing the opposite, if now he's, instead of confessing that he is Lord, he's denying that he is Lord, has Peter then committed the unexcusable sin, the unforgivable sin? That's what you would assume. Like Peter is too far gone now, right? He just committed the big sin, denying Christ. So if Peter can commit this, what seems like ultimate sin, apparently there is no unforgivable sin. If Peter can do this and then be forgiven, there had to be somebody better. Why did Jesus pick Peter? Why did Jesus pick Peter to lead the church if he knew that he was going to deny him? Well, he didn't just know that Peter was going to screw up. He also knew Peter's potential. He also knew Peter's leadership ability. He knew about his courage. There's this story in the Bible of one day Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. We've talked about Caesarea Philippi before. It is a horrific place. This is like the, the center of false god worship in their area. This is where there was a cave there that they called the gates of hell. And it's because this is where they would, they would literally sacrifice their children in this cave. They would throw their children into this hole and let them drown in this cave. This is also where they worshiped the, the God Pan, the fertility God, and all types of Horrible, horrible things went on, on day in and day out in Caesarea Philippi. This place was just around the clock orgies. And Jesus takes his 12 apostles, some of whom are teenage boys at this point, to Caesarea Philippi, right in the middle of this filth. And he asks them a question. He says, who am I? Who do you think I am? To his 12 apostles. And Peter, because he's the leader, speaks up. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. He was unique in this. He was ahead of the curve. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In other words, Peter was in the process of a renewing of the mind. 
of no longer seeing things the way humans naturally see things, of beginning to see things from God's perspective. And I think this is the key in understanding why Peter, why Jesus picked Peter. Because Peter listened to God. He was open to hearing from God and then following wherever God led him. Now, Peter didn't have all the answers and he wasn't perfect. Peter regularly screwed up, but he continued to come back to God, continued to, to repent and follow. And then Jesus said, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Jesus didn't say that part of it, which means rock. And upon this rock, the rock, the truth that he is the Messiah, I will build my church and all the powers of hell. Remember, they're standing at the gates of hell. Will not conquer it. When Jesus saved you, he knew that you were screwed up. When Jesus offered to give you grace, he did not expect that you would never sin again after you received grace. He knew that he was picking screwed up, fallen people to lead his church. He picked Peter, he picked me, and he picked you. So now that we all know we're in the same boat, let's get to work. We've got no time for shame. We've got no time for denial. We've got no time for segmentation of our life. So you jump forward back to Peter's denial in that courtyard that day. Peter's standing there by a charcoal fire and he's denying his faith to a little girl. And then the rooster crowed three times, which Jesus predicted. You, uh, you know what a rooster crow is? It's not what you think. Before and after the Sabbath, the priests would get up on the temple, on the corner of the temple, and they would blow a trumpet right before Sabbath to announce to the, to the people everywhere, hey, Sabbath is coming. You're not going to be able to work for a while, so get everything in order. Get all your preparations in order because Sabbath is coming, and they'd blow the trumpet. And then at the end of Sabbath, they would get up and they'd blow the trumpet again to announce to everybody, okay, you can go back to work. Sabbath is over. And you know what they called the trumpet, blowing the trumpets? They called it a rooster crow. And so we know that this, all these events are happening around the Sabbath. That's why they had to hurry up and bury Jesus after he was crucified because Sabbath was coming and they, they couldn't bury him while it was Sabbath. And so this rooster crow has just signified that all these events that Jesus has predicted are coming true. His prophecies are coming true. And in this moment, Peter has a repenting moment, a, a, a change of mind moment. And he begins to realize everything that's happening. And Peter left the courtyard. He ran out of the courtyard weeping bitterly. After Peter did what just a few hours earlier he promised he would never do, just a few hours earlier he told Jesus that he would die for him. And now he's doing what he promised he would never do. So what did Peter assume? Well, I'm out. I, I've, 
I turn my back on Jesus, he'll obviously turn his back on me. In his greatest time of need, I'm denying him. He's got to deny me, right? That's what he said he'll do. Not long after this, Peter goes back to fishing. I'm not Jesus' disciple anymore. So he goes back to fishing because he's a fisherman. And he can't catch anything. Apparently, Peter's a terrible fisherman. I don't know because this is what always is happening. He can't catch anything out there. And Jesus comes to the beach. And Jesus yells out to the disciples in the boat. He says, throw out your nets on the other side of the boat. And they throw out their nets. And all of a sudden, these empty nets are filled with fish. Peter is reminded, taken back to the first time that he met Jesus. And Jesus performed this same miracle. And Peter realizes what has happened and who it is on the beach that's saying, throw out your nets on the other side. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus right over the sea monsters. And he gets to the beach and Jesus has built a charcoal fire. There's only two times in all of scripture that a charcoal fire is mentioned. When Peter denied Jesus and in this interaction, this breakfast on the beach and Jesus has some bread and some fishes that he's cooking for the disciples Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Peter's like, Jesus, I screwed up. I know, you know, I love you like a brother. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's like, bro, Jesus, you're my boy. We're brothers. I yes, I love you. Jesus lowered his standard. He's like, okay, Peter, do you love me like a brother? Peter says, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Remember the first time Jesus performed this catching fish miracle, he was with Peter and he said, Peter, follow me. Well, Peter's like, no, leave me, Lord. I'm too sinful. I'm not worthy to be here with you. I'm not worthy to even be talking to you. He falls down on his face and he begins to worship Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was an invitation to do more than just a Sunday morning activity. It was an invitation to become somebody different, to become a fisher of men. And when P Jesus on this beach meets with Peter, he's giving him an opportunity to repent this is how the interaction happened. He, the third time he asks, Jesus asks Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Apparently he doesn't believe me. Obviously he doesn't believe me. I, I denied him. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep, then fish for people. Jesus is creating an environment in which it, in the same scenario, he denied Jesus. He's giving him the opportunity to repent, an opportunity to change his mind and change his direction and to follow Jesus. Peter repented three times. And we see here a change in Peter's life trajectory. 
Peter has now reached a whole new level of sold out, on fire, mature faith. So much so that Jesus ascends to heaven in the beginning of the book of Acts and then a couple or just the next chapter, Jesus or Peter is preaching, boldly proclaiming, not with no regard of what the consequences could be. Peter's preaching. He says this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Repent. Change your mind. Stop pursuing your way. Start seeing things from God's perspective and then be baptized. Have you been baptized? You should be baptized. Be baptized. As people listened to him, they were struck by this message and those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. How many thousand? By this time, Peter had reached a new level of faith maturity. Eventually, Peter would, they would demand, the same people that crucified Jesus would demand Peter either deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. And they crucified Peter because this time he wouldn't deny it. They crucified Peter, but he demanded that they crucify him upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. The apostle Paul also was killed for his faith. And this is what he said. He said, I am not ashamed. My mind has been changed. This is who I am. I am not ashamed of this good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you proud of the gospel of Jesus? Or have you hidden your faith away in a box, in a closet? Is it just a part of your life, just something that you do on the side? It's time to drop everything, to give him everything. Surrender everything and follow Jesus. Actually do the movement of following Jesus. Now, I understand there's some people in the room today who wouldn't even say they're Christians. They're just here trying things out for you. This is kind of a message about a future conversation we should have, right? Because what I want you to know is that Jesus, when he went to that cross, when he died on the cross, we'll talk about it at Easter, he accomplished everything necessary for you to be adopted into his family. What you need is that first interaction on the beach with with Jesus where he just says, follow me. You don't got to get everything right first. You don't got to say everything perfect first. You don't got to remove a bunch of sin first. The invitation is just, let's start a relationship. And if you're on the outside looking in and you're just, you're just wondering about this whole faith thing, just know that Jesus is offering you a gift. And he wants to adopt you into his family. And all you have to do is say yes. He'll take care of the next steps. Just say yes to him. If you want to let us know that you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, there's a card in the chair in front of you, or you can go to resources on church307.com and let us know that you are ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Don't put it off. Start it today. And then allow the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ to happen in your life. The repenting, the renewing, the changing of your mind, he will do that. 
if you will allow him. God, I thank you for giving us examples of what it looks like to follow you. I thank you that those people who followed you before us weren't perfect so that we can recognize that you call all of us. You invite all of us, every one of us, none of us are too far gone to follow you. Help us to become the people you created us to be. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.